Welcome to Society and Culture Podcast. A perfect way to digest bite-sized episodes that cover a range of interesting topics related to society and culture. Whether you're looking for interesting facts, historical insights, or just want to be entertained, this podcast has you covered. With new episodes released every day, there's always something new to listen to. And now, here's your episode. Enjoy! One of the most effective ways to change your behavior is to change your identity. I don't mean joining the CIA or a witness protection program or adopting an alter ego. I mean, rather, changing the way you see yourself. Our perception of who we are, our identity or self-image, has a dramatic effect on our future actions. Self-image is a cognitive shortcut that helps our brains make otherwise difficult choices in advance, thereby streamlining the decision-making process. First, let's look at I don't versus I can't. A study published in the Journal of Consumer Research tested the words people use when faced with temptation. During the experiment, one group was instructed to use the words I can't when considering unhealthy food choices, while the other group used I don't. At the end of the study, participants were offered either a chocolate bar or granola bar to thank them for their time. Nearly twice as many people in the I don't group picked the healthier option on their way out the door. The authors of the study attributed the difference to the psychological empowerment that comes with saying, I don't, rather than, I can't. The results demonstrate the influence that self-description and self-image have on our behavior. We think, therefore, we will be. The way we think of ourselves can have a profound impact on how we deal with distractions and unintended behaviors. To leverage the power of identity to fight distraction, we can enter into what I call an identity pact, which is a pre-commitment to a self-image that helps us pursue what we really want. By aligning our behaviors with our identity, we make choices based on who we want to be. Here is how to align your identity with a behavior. Start by identifying the behavior you want to stop. For example, say you'd like to stop eating meat. For people who view themselves as meat eaters trying to quit, the task of cutting out meat, cold turkey, can seem large and daunting because they feel as though they are constrained. I can't stop eating meat. Vegetarians, by contrast, have an easier time abstaining from meat. They don't feel as though they are constrained. Abstaining from meat is instead simply an expression of who they are. To succeed at eliminating meat from your diet, then, the key to success is telling yourself and others that you are a vegetarian. In the same way, telling yourself that you are indistractable can empower you to overcome distraction. You'll empower yourself yet further by saying this not just to yourself, but to others as well. For example, when they ask why you do strange things like meticulously plan your time, refuse to respond to every notification immediately, and so on, 
You can explain that you are indistractable and that these acts are typical for an indistractable person in the same way that, say, prayer and fasting are to a religious one. Talking to others about your identity pact keeps you accountable to your mission. It encourages others to join in and helps you stick to your plans. The more you stick to your plans, the more you reinforce your identity and the easier changing your behavior becomes. Making identity pacts can empower us to become people we want to be. Whether the behavior is related to what we eat, how we treat others, or how we manage distraction, this technique can help mold our behavior to fit our values. Many people assume their identities are fixed. In fact, your self-image is flexible. Thinking of yourself in a particular way is a habit, and habits can be changed for the better. When you're like most people, the first thing you do when you wake up is check social media feeds. Upon reaching work, you listen to music or podcasts on your way there. In your workplace, while being productive, you browse social media until you click on the links to posts from friends with whom you were in high school and college doing better than you. You visit Amazon to purchase items you liked but didn't need. Afterward, you head to happy hour with some people from your place of employment. You spend half the work time on your phone. Afterward, you go back home for the night and abandon the television for a session on social media. Then you head upstairs, check social media one final time, and then go to bed. Depending on how today unfolds, you review the status of popular media outlets numerous times. Each time you listen to music, you're being reminded of what's appropriate for you to feel. Each time you open Facebook, you're getting a message about the ideal life for you. Instagram, customs of the body. All of them entirely prohibited. Western culture affects our emotions in detrimental ways on social media, movies, TV, music, advertising, and many other sources. Advertisements lure us into pictures of unbelievable technology and artificially appealing men and women with it, thus making us feel unworthy both because we can't buy a new overpriced computer with a mouth on it and because we're not any natural hunk. Commercials highlight your superior health and your reduced quality of life, as well as the game activities you are not able to enjoy, your home being unsanitary, and your outdated physical condition. HGTV reminds you that even if your home is clean enough, it would not be good enough. And all day long, social media reminds you that other people's homes, parties, health, and marriages are much more beautiful and refined than yours. These things are saying much too clearly when they're buried, don't you think? Human beings do not always exist alone. We exist separate from our environment. What we call ourselves is a complex relationship between the will of our internal sense of self and the complexities we face from our environment. We desire things because we prefer them, we desire them simply because we indicated a preference for them. Benjamin Hardy, PhD, studies this with great enthusiasm, and John Gorman writes about it with passion, but their lesson turns out to be the same. As we know our environment, our environment affects us. Americans feel a lot of guilt, loneliness, shame, and unhappy about themselves because of this. 
The primary motivation in consumerist culture is the desire to consume, and regardless of what more pessimistic philosophers may believe, humans are not wired to consume until death. A lot depends on creation of behavioral engineers who understand how take an unfamiliar person to the point of obsession to trigger rampant consumption in us. When they're finished supplying rousing goals, terrorists have the perfect recipe for setting up dates where the antagonist finds itself rather quickly. Since we're in a vicious circle, consumerism keeps us operating from it, best shiny Apple products and white-clad sneakers when we're young, thereby helping us to constrain ourselves before we need to protect ourselves in any way. In time, we end up emotionally attached to these emotions as these feelings are triggered in us and our capacity to feel them grows, making the original emotions increasingly irresistible to us. Then, before we realize that we are immersed in a sea of clothes we haven't worn in years, costly gadgets we also seldom use, and only partly enjoy, and binging our Netflix once again, we find that we are heavily invested in these emotions. How to break a destructive cycle When one zero runs a piece related to social media responsibly, my eyes typically roll when I read it. You are obligated to do something differently in order to be unique and have something others don't have. The moment you let yourself be oppressed with the triggers that other people have made their way through, you'll be unable to remain calm or collected. To feel as calm and confident in yourself as you possibly can, you must root out the weeds by their roots or they will simply come back. To be clear, I am not saying that you must get rid of all your social media. While I do think you should avoid doing so completely, that is not actually the point of what I am saying. This is my response to those who attempt to justify their habits and cross the line so they can return to being who they really are without any consequences to themselves. Don't do it, it is that uncomplicated. Make sure that you're not just taking in joy from others on social media and Netflix, use our present point of view to buy a person a drink. Because our way of life is structured in such a way that makes doing that very likely to put you in a bad spot mentally. I want to be heard, but since I'm not up on the mountaintop, there is no point in me preaching. I know what it's like to see myself trapped along this track. I am doing all that I can at this time, but several years ago, I was the image of someone who fell prey to consumerism. I spend around a third of my time browsing images or watching embarrassing videos of people who had less makeup and clothes. My efforts to look like the young people in music videos or movies occupied a lot of my time and money seeking fashionable clothes, shoes, and accessories. Otherwise, I was stuck in a feedback loop consisting of seeking external validation and exhaustion. Today, the only reason I'm not entangled in all of this is because I successfully adopted a zero-tolerance policy to everything that distracts me from my goals. The various topics in many of OneZero's articles that explain how to use social media more responsibly point out that not all social media is bad. They are correct. Bars are rarely bad either. Mental alcoholics are aware that bars are the physical embodiment of evil. They avoid bars because in by doing so, they're more likely to do what they want to refrain from doing. In reality, the only person able to give advice on what prevents you from living is you. Take the time to admire your life. What keeps you back? Are you constantly browsing Instagram looking at pictures of hot chicks for brand new occasions? Are you constantly hopping onto Tinder within spare moment? Are you binge watching Netflix for hours at a time? 
Are you smoking pot all day? Then know what it is that you're defending. Then let it go. Your life will be better without it. Did you enjoy this podcast's new episodes? Don't forget to subscribe so we can upload fresh content daily. Every afternoon, Lauren and Stephen Keyes stroll along the beach near their Florida home with their fellow retirees. They're not octogenarians enjoying the fruits of decades of labor. They're not even 65, just beginning their post-retirement life. Lauren is 32 and Stephen is 31, and the couple retired at 29. Every day, I can't believe that this is my life right now, Lauren says. After graduating from the University of Florida in 2012, the Keys took a 45-day road trip to Alaska before beginning full-time jobs in grad school. The switch from the freedom of the road to the obligations of work and adulthood was jarring. They began to fear the vacation was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity before 40-plus years of work. When they discovered the concept of early retirement, it seemed like a path to the life they wanted. Already frugal, they took an even harder look at their finances and started tracking their net worth. They lived off a small fraction of their combined teacher and marketing salaries, picked up side hustles, downsized to one used car, said no to Starbucks and eating out, and invested the majority of their income. Today, they visited every national park, spent six months in Hawaii, and in 2021, joined TikTok to show others how to live like they do. They're part of a growing online community, championing quitting work long before 65, with hashtags like hashtag early retirement, hashtag retire before 30, and hashtag financial independence. Scrolling through this content can be overwhelming, and it's difficult to discern who's a real person with real tips like the keys, who don't charge for their advice, and who's a scammer who just wants your cash, presumably to fund their retirement. But there's no doubt, many TikTokers are taken with the idea of leaving the daily grind well ahead of their twilight years. Long before TikTok, proponents of what's called FIRE, or financial independence retire early, have pursued early retirement. But on the app, the movement built on aggressive saving, investment and frugality has found a new audience and come up with new strategies for piling up cash. The generally held advice is you need to reach a net worth 25 times your annual cost of living to theoretically live off your savings for the rest of your life. So if you make $70,000 after taxes and live off half of it, you would need to reach a net worth around $875,000 to retire early. According to one of the many online fire calculations, that could take a little over 16 years to achieve. And that's assuming you'll always live off $35,000 for the rest of your life. If you can bump up your savings and increase your income, you could get there even faster. The methods TikTokers recommend to do that are endless. Crypto, affiliate links on Amazon, opening new credit cards, investing in index funds, downgrading your car and home, selling clothes online, monetizing your hobbies, renting out rooms in your house, the list goes on. The key is not just to save, but continually grow your income and invest the majority of it. 
One creator who goes by dumpster diving Fregan documents finding everything from coffee and wine to toilet paper and pregnancy tests for free, even though she works in banking. She's saving for early retirement and reducing waste, she explains in a video. Some early retirement proponents say they plan to keep working, but only in ways they want to, like Taylor Price, age 21, a podcaster, financial influencer, and entrepreneur in Raleigh, North Carolina, with 1.2 million followers, who wants to retire by the time she's 30, but not halt all her projects. The term retirement to me means work is optional, she says. I have a passion to work. Cherry Tung, age 26, a financial coach in Los Angeles, left a career in accounting and now, thanks to good financial planning, qualifies herself as work optional. She shares financial advice on TikTok and sells a course for others hoping to retire early. I feel really uncomfortable doing nothing, she says. My purpose is in creating some impact and if it's not in a corporate job, it has to be something else that I'm doing. Even the Keys aren't after a lifetime of local beach strolls. Sure, they're planning to travel to other countries. Maybe they'll have children, or maybe they'll open a coffee shop. That was always the allure of early retirement, opening themselves to challenges, opportunities for growth, and yes, even work, but on their own terms. Gen Z could be uniquely primed to retire early. They get a personal finance 101 class every time they scroll through social media. And according to a 2021 Goldman Sachs Asset Management report on retirement, 25% of surveyed Gen Zers plan on retiring before age 55, compared to 17% of millennials and just 8% of Gen X. But should they? Neha Byrolia, an assistant professor at USC who studies aging and retirement, says retiring so young is inherently risky. People underestimate the length of their life. Nursing homes and retirement communities are exorbitantly expensive. Healthcare costs more as you age. Family planning is difficult to predict. Access to premium Medicare and pension funds depends on the number of years you work, and the market can be unpredictable. What worries her more is the potential loss of work experience if, years after your early retirement, you have to go looking for a corporate job again. At 21 in 2022, you might be able to hustle your way to large sums of money. But 20 or even 40 years from now, what happens if unexpected costs force you back into the traditional workforce? You're closing too many doors behind you by making this decision, Byrolia says. Your future self might not be very happy with that. It's also not possible for everyone to do this. The FIRE movement in particular has been criticised for not taking into account the socio-economic conditions and systematic racism that makes it impossible for many people. Those who retire early have common advantages. A college degree, no student debt, a partner to share expenses with, no children or relatives to care for, access to health care, and a choice about where to live. Charmaine Chi, who retired at the age of 42 in Buffalo, New York, is quick to admit her own early retirement is thanks to a combination of luck, privilege, and lifestyle. To claim otherwise is super tone deaf, she says. She graduated debt-free and inherited some wealth from her parents. She shares living expenses with her husband. Their city, neighborhood, house, and car cost less than they can afford, and they don't have any children. She's also vocal about saying that while quitting her job did relieve a lot of stress in her life, it wasn't the magic fix to her anxiety and burnout she thought it would be. 
offering transparency you don't often see among the early retirement crew on TikTok. When at Tay Beatboop, who asked to be identified only by her TikTok username, shared her bright disco ball-enshrined maximalist home in San Francisco, all the comments demanded one thing of the 28-year-old post-production freelancer. How did you afford this? She wasn't a part of early retirement TikTok. She just wanted to show off her DIY decor, but answered the question anyway. By denying herself everything but her most basic needs, she paid off her college debt in under a year and eventually saved enough for her home. When her friends went out to eat, she just ordered water. She found odd jobs on Craigslist, participated in medical trials, opened new email accounts to get food through giveaways, worked overtime on weekends and often went to bed hungry. She was even in the process of selling her eggs when she realized she'd reached her financial goal. Hers could have been an aspirational tale perfectly packaged in a three-minute video. But for at Tay Beep Boop, all of this deprivation came at a steep price. She thought she'd be able to spend more freely after she had enough money saved, but instead still struggled to eat out when she knew she had food at home or enjoy vacations with her friends. Today, she's in therapy, dealing with the anxiety that came from her year of living wildly below her means. It's a paradox common on social media. People praised her for paying off her debt and achieving financial independence, even though it came at a high cost to her mental health. In the video detailing her financial journey, at Tay Beatboop cautions people against replicating her path, though it hasn't stopped comments like, you're so inspiring. The majority of people are just desperate, she says. They want any life preserver. This is one reason financial content performs so well on TikTok. Young people are overwhelmed by debt, unable to buy homes, and feel ill-equipped to one day retire. When someone online is doing well financially, they're desperate to know how to copy them and might not consider a negative outcome. Even at Tay Beatboop thinks maybe she'd do it all over again. It was a horrible time in my life that I sort of blacked out, she says. But at the same time, I own my own home and I'm financially independent. And that is all for today's episode. See us again tomorrow for another exciting and interesting episode you'll surely love. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast and share with your friends.